HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Jake Carls, co-founder of Midday Squares, the fresh, functional chocolate bars that most CPG folks would say are killing it. Midday Squares launched in August of 2018 in Montreal and sold over 8 million chocolate bars in their first three years. Currently one of the fastest growing food brands across Canada, Midday Squares is ready to take the U.S. chocolate category by storm. Welcome, Jake. Well, good, good evening, good morning. I don't know you want to call it, but uh, happy New Year! I'm su- I'm super fired up about this. I I love that intro. I'll always it's kind of like music to me. It sounds like music, but uh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I am doing all right. It's um it's cold, but I just I know I can't complain. You know, to someone who's in Canada. <laughs> oh yeah, it's negative negative twenty today. Negative twenty. So. Yeah. So cool. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut and uh, start. You know, moving on to um, you and you know I don't know I you know I interview a bunch of people. I mean, every week I have someone on here, and a lot of them have to do with branding and marketing and. You know, when you ask, like, what's a brand that's doing it right? Who's doing it well? What's something that you've got your eye on? I mean, I would say eight out of 10 say you guys. Um, And, you know, I think that's largely from my understanding uh, because of you. So I'd love to hear more about, I know that your sister basically um, came up with the idea and the recipe, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about the story, how, you know, she brought you in, what, you know, what your initial role was, where your background, you know, got you and how it got you here and all of that. 
Yeah, for sure. So my sister definitely, she is the creator. She also runs our manufacturing plant and her husband, my brother-in-law is my other, is our other partner. He's the operator here, but it all started in, in 2017, actually, when my sister was making this chocolate snack for my brother-in-law because he was addicted to chocolate snacks in the afternoon and all the snacks he was having was full of sugar, palm oil, all this junk. And he would get these crashes at like two o'clock. He'd have this, he'd have his chocolate and then feel very tired after. And basically she said she could make something healthier for him. And mm-hmm. she, she was always a foodie at heart, but she was in the fashion space at the time. And she made him this concoction, which is now the midday squares. Mm-hmm. And he took it to his office and everyone freaked. They're like, oh my God, this is absolutely delicious. It was raw chocolate with like some clean proteins, stuff like that. And they wanted it every day, but she's like, yo, I'm, I'm working in fashion. I'm in right. New York. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm busy. I have no time for that. And um, long story short, they kind of put it to rest for a bit. And then fast forward a bit, he ended up selling out of his company, a software company. And he had a two-year non-compete in, in that world. And he was just waiting. They always wanted to work together. They didn't know what to work on. But yet it was right in front of their faces because they didn't realize that the chocolate, the chocolate bar was going to be their <laughs> idea. So he ended up receiving a report um, one day that showed that real chocolate was growing really fast, like 44% year over year. That's like darker chocolate, you know, mm-hmm. not made with palm oil, made with mm-hmm. cocoa butter as a base. And that vegan protein was on a tear as well at 36% year over year. So it clicked when he was in the shower. He's like, oh my God, Leslie, <laughs> you're making a baby of these two categories. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's launch this as our product. And uh, this was in early 2018. And then they said, okay, well, this is great. We have a product. They started developing. I think they did 69 trials of different recipes, finally got to the right one. Then went to McGill University's food and science program. They have a great mm-hmm. food science program here in Canada. And basically asked them, can you help commercialize this product right. to kind of work on basically filling you up for three to four hours? Because they wanted it to be an afternoon snack that kept you full for the rest of the afternoon, right? right. And they ended up working on it and they finished it and they were ready to launch it. But they didn't have someone that was going to make noise, bring excitement to the brand because they're both introverted people. Mm-hmm. Um and they needed an extrovert. So they came to me and this is in July. <laughs> this is this is like July, 2018. And I was right. just like, they're like, Hey, Hey Jake, we have a great idea. Do you want to be the third partner in this chocolate bar business? I, I'm like, excuse my language. I'm like, fuck no. I'm right. like, I, I love you both to death as entrepreneurs, but the, you guys must be crazy. You ought to be crazy going into the bar space where there's so many chocolate bars and there's so many protein bars, you know, like we're not going to be able to win in the grocery store where there's 40,000 products. Right. And, and they're like, well, you're, you're going to have to figure that out. And I'm like, well, I don't have that time. I was busy throwing parties on college campuses, selling clothing, having the time of my life, to be honest right. with you, not, make, not making a dime, not making a dime, but I was having fun. And I kind of said no for like a month and a half. And then finally it came to me. I realized I said, oh my God, I could actually help them because the product's really delicious, but I have a good idea that we'll take this whole industry or CPG world by storm. And I basically said to them, I said, I showed them a PowerPoint slide. I said, I think it was like July 29th or like August 2nd. I can't remember 2018. And I said, Hey guys, it's very simple. I'm joining the team as the third partner, but here's what we're doing. This is the only way I'll join is if you guys agree to this concept, we are going to turn ourselves into a boy slash girl band. I showed them Spice Girls. I showed them Backstreet Boys. I showed right. them, Inst- and I said instead of selling the rec, instead of selling records like bands do, let's sell chocolate. And they were like, they're like, what the hell are you what? talking about? And was I was for two introverts. Like, do either of them sing or dance? I I've seen some of the videos. I mean, it's the whole, the whole thing is just like amazing. But I I didn't know I didn't. Does anyone have a voice? 
now they no now they dance and do all that jazz of music. I, I basically force them to become like extroverted on camera, like be right. themselves, but be extroverted on that. Yeah. Um, and now they're very comfortable with the camera. Like now they're almost more comfortable than I am. I would say. Right. But uh, Leslie actually went to acting school, neighborhood playhouse school. I think in in New York when she was younger, she wanted to be an actress, and she actually was for a bit of voiceover for a pretty popular shows. And you know, at the end of the day, they when I first told them this, they were like, "This is crazy," but right. they're like. They're like, we're just going to agree to disagree and commit to it. And they yep. did commit. And I made them take their iPhones out on day one and film everything. And I mean, yeah, like the good, the everything. good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. And it started working because it was kind of like Shark Tank meets the Kardashians. Yeah, no, I mean, I literally, it it's part reality TV show, part brand. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've read a little bit about what you talked about, obviously, like I've watched, you know, a bunch of them. You're really unfiltered. Um, yeah. and I think, you know, at this kind of, you know, we all sort of in, in CPG land, there's sort of this, like, we're all at the nexus of like content commerce and, you know, community. Um, but you're, you have like that fourth little thing, which is just, you know, people are really a part of your story. Like your, your community isn't just like people, you know, feel like they're like uploading their recipes or, you know, engaged with the brand. Like they really know you intimately. I mean, that's a whole other level. Yeah. The goal was, was, can we bring the consumer on the roller coaster ride with us? Not just from a watching it, but actually feeling the real emotions of good and bad, because when we show our failures, like they really feel the emotion or the therapy sessions that we yeah. go through, they, they feel it, right? And then they feel yeah. the successes when we raise our money or when we score a big retailer or when we make a big, you know, big hire. They feel those and they feel like they're cheering us on. So when you create that relationship, you no longer have customers, it's all fans. Right. And that's something that we value really, really, really tremendously. And, and I think that's what's allowing us to break through the noise of this grocery game and allowing us to win at retail and on the, con- the direct-to-consumer level as well. So in terms of that, let's talk about, you know, you started D2C, or did you start in, in and you are refrigerated. So, I mean, I feel your pain. You know, Perfect Bar did pave the way a little bit. Hail Mary helped a little bit, probably. But it's still really, you know, for those of us that are creating new categories and, you know, taking something that not only consumers, but buyers identify with shelf stable and, you know, carving out and like sharp elbowing out some like refrigerated space, it is, it is challenging. It's, you know, the good side is that there's less competition in the fresh, you know, for our particular things. The, the harder side is that, it's unclear who the buyer is sometimes that's, you know, most stores don't have enough refrigerator space for all of the things they want to take. So is that the same in Canada? I mean, did it, did you start off with some retailers in Montreal or did you start D to C and did you find that that was a challenge there as well as, as here? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's even a bigger challenge and I'll explain why. So when we started, we did first did D2C, right? And we basically shipped, we, we, we actually hand delivered our products in the Montreal region um, to go meet our consumers. It was actually, we, didn't, we couldn't afford shipping. So we actually would go hand deliver. And then that created this like, again, intimate connection with the consumer where they would talk about it on social media, right. which kept on creating this like hype, this type of noise kept happening about this brand 
here in this local community in Montreal. And we basically took the Facebook strategy of where you go college to college and you really dominate each college first. So the same thing with communities. So every little city, we focused itself. And basically what we would do is create enough noise, then open up a local retailer, like a, a coffee shop mm-hmm. or like a gym. And then we would follow wherever those people went to what grocery store they went to. They usually went to like an independent health food store. Then we'd put it in there and it would keep going like that. And then eventually the conventional people, the grocery started seeing it. But the problem with the, like you said, the refrigeration is in Canada, Perfect Bar hasn't even arrived at this time yet. And they did a phenomenal job in the US building it for 14, 15 years. Uh, you know, here we had to do that. And we had to do exactly what Perfect Bar did is basically explain to retailers that there is a refrigerated snacking set. There is a refrigerated set for fresh products that are amazing and need to be placed properly. So they started placing us in like the egg section in the middle of nowhere. So I started going wild. And that's when I started utilizing my LinkedIn and my other social channels, personal stuff, where I build enough, I build enough microphone, I like to call it so that I had enough noise when I'd post, it would get the attention of different buyers. And what would happen was I would show them different pictures of, amazing retailers that are doing it right and then show the re- the other retailer where it's just completely wrong yeah. and guess what it would get seen by 30 40 50,000 people and then buyers would then email us and say well where is this placement how do we get to that and i'd be like okay let's let's play ball here you yeah. know because otherwise it's too complex because you said yeah. it right the buyers are unclear of where to put this they don't identify these products as refrigerated and usually they just shove it next to the, the, the dairy section where the eggs or the milk are which is right. not the right section or, you know, in our case, you know, they put us sort of in the like, you know, it's a, uh, it's a meat substitute kind of, it's under dairy, but it's non-dairy, vegan, something, you know, it's, it's, some of them are, you know, abhorrently called Asian condiments set. Like there is like, makes no sense, makes no sense, you know, but they don't, they haven't quite figured it out yet. And, you know you know, the great news is, is that we can help them figure it out. Like you said, if you do it right and you do it respectfully and you do it smart. Um, and so, you know, would you say that you're like, when did you know, when were you like, all right, this is working. Like my sort of plan here to get these guys ramped up and, and take this thing, you know, all the way like when did you have that first feeling of like ah okay our our, our first goal our first year goal was to hit $250,000 run rate um in our first year and we ended up hitting that in our first like two and a half three months and that's when I realized at the moment I only joined the company because I was like yo I'm bored and I want to make some noise and do something right. fun I didn't <laughs> believe that the truth would be that we'd be that big I thought hitting that $250,000 mark was going to be crazy to be even thinking about of chocolate bars. So then we hit it after three months or so or two and a half months. And I was like, holy shit, this is real. This is actually mm-hmm. something that we have. And this was happening very fast. We we, we were making the product in our condo in, in my brother-in-law's and sister's condo. And we had to move into a small kitchen because we had too many people working in there. And um, we had to automate this because when we, we tried to go to co-packers and no co-packers mm. were able to make this product. Yeah. And uh, so we had to go build a manufacturing plant, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But, I do. Yeah. I want to talk about that. But later. that yeah. that was that was something crazy. And that's the moment I realized that if we're going all in on this and then we're going all in and we're going to go really hard on it, and even if it's going to be hard to pave the way at retail, we're going to use storytelling as the tool to get the attention of the buyers, but also to have the consumers help us out so they don't have to have a scavenger hunt every time they go to the grocery store to find yep. the product. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I'd like to hear more about that because I feel like we, we really haven't cracked that yet. It's, you know, we do this thing called social nature. I think you and I talked about it. It's, it's, I had, um, Anna Leah on the podcast. It's, it's like, for us, it's an incredible sampling program because it's very hard to demo our sauces, even pre COVID, you know, that you don't just like dunk a carrot stick for you guys. It's probably a little different because demoing is easier, but anyway, our, you know, social nature is a part of that, um, you know, demoing program. Basically people have to write reviews and we have, it's like 95% five-star reviews. The only three and below are literally, we couldn't find it in the store and it drives me crazy. I mean, there's nothing worse than like someone actively going to buy or even just use a coupon to get your product and they can't find it in the store that you've told them to go to. So you know, we do like the idea of like using social media to be like, here's, you walk down these stairs and you make this turn and you go here, but it's really hard when you're in thousands of stores. So, you know, how, how have you approached that? That's the that's question I so, would yeah, love you to answer. That's one of my number one pet peeves is when they have, they go to the store to look for the product and they, they can't find it and they tell you, oh, it's not there, but it really mm-hmm. is because it's just, you have to really look. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did was obviously we had no, we're only a three, we're only three SKUs. So that's not a lot of visibility. That's not a lot of room. Right. That's not a lot of jazz it's for the consumer to see. Black, so yeah. the only way that we are able to start making, making the right decisions and getting more space and extra places in the store was when we started getting good sales velocity, but here's how we got it. We would really create a lot of noise on social media where people wanted to, they, they felt like the product was everywhere, but it really wasn't. It was like right. following people around with mm-hmm. like, Oh, I see it at my coffee shop. I see it at my gym. I see it at, at my supplement shop. And then, then they're like, oh shit, this thing is like everywhere, but it's not actually everywhere. And it made them feel like Midday Squares was following them kind of. Right. And, <laughs> and then supplementing that with all the, the, the excitement we're doing on social media, they felt like, oh my God, I know Jake, Nick, and Leslie. Like, yeah, I, I've never even tried the product, but I know them so well. Finally, once they're in the store, it's so programmed that it's in a refrigerator because of all that content that's coming in their face. That it's not that they're going to look for it; it's that they find it, and then they're they're actually seeing it clearly in the store. And then we right. use that that the data to then say, okay, give us double spacing or double facings or three mm-hmm. facings, or give us another fridge. Let us try a fridge takeover. We have no problem paying for it. But let us show you how much money we can make on an end cap takeover. And that's what ended up happening, where it started increasing store velocities. However, it doesn't always change the section because the problem with changing sections we like to be in produce actually and we get put in the dairy the problem with changing in this space is it's very hard because buyers and category managers they don't share the pie which is really ridiculous in my opinion so so it's like it's like they don't think of unfortunately the greater good is the is the store and how the store does right they're not not yeah they're not motivated that way right so so if you want to change, it's almost impossible. Like because we were doing well in, in the dairy section, even though we could do so much better in the in the tests that we've shown in the produce, yeah, they don't even want to change it because they're like, oh well, we're already doing okay. It's totally fine. We're hitting our numbers. Yeah, but I'm like, no, that that's not great. That's good. Well, we even have, you know, I mean, think about, you know, we have a gingery miso sauce that, you know, every time you put it next to a piece of salmon, not only do we sell more gingery miso, but guess what? We sell more salmon. So we're like, hey. cross merchandise us, put us over in fish, put us over in meat. And that's very hard for them to do because, because our buyer doesn't get that, that margin. 
and the meat guy doesn't get much, it, it, it doesn't behoove him to put us there. So we're doing now we're trying to do sort of like sticky coupons on different things and leading people back to the set that we're in. But um, it's tricky, man. It's really tricky. So it, it's I, hard. Yeah, it's hard. Your D to C business, you know, until sort of your breakthrough into the American market, was it was it like the bulk of was it the bulk of the sales? It's currently it's forty five percent of our business. Okay. Uh, we actually we actually don't like it that high because shipping refrigerated chocolate yeah. is like, very expensive, to, especially from here to Calif- Montreal to California. It's costing us an arm and a leg. So yeah. we're actually setting up three PLs in three PLs in, in St. Louis and Calgary, which are going to help you know with the shipping costs. But still, at yeah. the end of the day, we want to be a seventy percent retail business, thirty percent D two C. The D two C just helps us for trial and it helps us for brand hype, I guess, if you want to call it. Yeah. And I guess I was wondering if you had to learn, you know, to me, they're very, very different skill sets and they're, they're, you know, everyone wants to be omnichannel and they're different, you know, they're different sales channels, but they're, they're calculated differently. The metrics are different. All of it's, it's actually like a completely different business to me. Um, and I'm wondering what your growth curve was like for that. Yeah. Yeah. So our DSC grew quickly because we had a lot of influencers talking about the product. We had a lot of people like, you know, just talking about it on social media because again, they felt like they knew us, right? So they were mm-hmm. like, oh, like I feel like I'm sharing something with about a friend, you know, and that yep. really helped. Yeah. The problem was is we never optimized the the freight. Um mm-hmm. and we, we were just utilizing it as a marketing tool to then help us with retail. And you know, what ended up happening was the more we invested in the D2C marketing the more our store locator page and our website actually went up in views. So that actually helped us grow retail as well, even though they're very different businesses because they are mm-hmm. very different metrics. Um, they still help each other they in terms of growth. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's why we want to be a, continue to be an omni-channel business. However, we really want to grow at retail because at retail, we find that we could actually, you know, make more dollars, especially if you have the right partners in retail and especially if you have the right pricing and all that stuff. The problem with D2C is, you know, Shipping refrigerators very and express is very expensive. It's very very expensive. Yeah, no, I I know, but you know it's funny too because I'm thinking back to, I don't remember the name of the brand, but it was a CBD brand, and she was really she was a really fun interview because they were in they were kind of like your mom's CBD, like they were not like the cool kids CBD. They were like very, you know, sixty year old woman. CBD cream kind of brand. Um, I wish I could think of the name of it, but anyway, she was in, they were in grocery, they were, um, in drug, they were in beauty. They couldn't sell directly because of the, like, you know, cannabis laws and whatnot. Yeah. But the way that she talked about it was, you know, if you think about it, first of all, the costs of acquiring consumers now online has just gone bonanza. So it's really, it used to be, you know, for a while there, it was like a super cheap way to acquire a new consumer. That is no longer the case. Um, But the way that she thought about it was, you know, every time she was on a CVS shelf, you know, she had this little billboard, this little mini billboard. And, you know, that's really valuable. I mean, we're, for us, part of, you know, we're never going to, we're going to be, my guess is 90% uh, grocery, you know, if, if not more, because it's selling chocolate 
is expensive and hard selling like a six pack of sauce in, you know, <laughs> like yeah, all of it. It's, it's just, it's crazy. And, and I don't know, people are not necessarily, and some people will, most people won't. But anyway, you know, my thought is that if you're walking by a store and you see like a rainbow on the shelf of us, that's marketing just as much as it is sales. I'd rather invest my money into that channel. But again, you know, it's, it's different for every. It's, it's billboards, you yeah. know, grocery food is food and beverage is a tough industry because you can't just win being D to C. No, Mm-mm. I'll argue that the whole way through because yeah. I think they're we, realizing that. Yeah, yeah. People are, there was a craze for it. You're right. Their customer acquisition costs in the, in the last 10 years have gone up so much that it's, right. it's so different than it was. The advertising is very expensive now compared to what it was you know, 10 years ago, Facebook and Instagram wasn't the same as it was today. You know, there's a lot of difference, a lot of differences. And even us, like we've diversified all our advertising now, not to just be in our Facebook and Instagram basket, because it used to just be paid ads on that. Now it's, it's subject to so many other different things. And it's helping us actually, because if we would have kept it the other way, we wouldn't be so high on our D2C side. There's no way. And I think that brands need to figure out, you know, retail is if done right, if retail is done right, and you have the right product market fit, you will explode. There is so much opportunity yep. there. So yep. much. It is funny, you know, and all of this talk about post COVID and, you know, the grocery store is dying and every millennial in the world is buying their groceries online and, and all that. At the end of the day, it there's still plenty of opportunity in store. And if you think about it, you know, it's kind of funny, like shopper marketing was sort of like, considered sort of like fuddy-duddy for a couple of years there. And now it's like coming back with a blast because all of these, you know, old school retailers have figured out digital, you know, not, I don't know anyone that wants to get 30, you know, packages every week from their different grocery stores. They want one place that they can order from. And if their neighborhood grocer can figure it out, they'll supplement that with the quick, you know, with the fast 15 minute stuff and maybe an occasional like direct to consumer company, but they're not going to be buying from, you know, 20 different direct to consumer companies to make their weekly, you know, refrigerator or pantry, you know, session. I, I think the future of grocery is not going to rely on the brands. How do you like this? I think the brands are innovating tremendously. I think there's a lot of great innovation out there, especially like brands like yours, mine, many others out there that I know. Um, so the product innovations have been happening over the last five, 10 years, I would say, I think the grocery store merchandising needs to innovate if they want uh-huh. to, if they want to get people to physically come back to the stores, because I don't, I don't enjoy online grocery shopping. That's just my opinion. I actually enjoy going to the stores, picking my stuff. I, lo- I actually make time for it because I enjoy it. Right. Yep. So it's not because I'm in the food space. There's nothing to do with that. It has to do that. I actually enjoy the experience. However, I've noticed that if you go to like Sephora, like you know, I don't shop there, but my, my girlfriend shops at Sephora and, and the, the excitement she has when she's there, I just watch and how the merchandising is done. Yep. It's incredible. Discovery. It's absolutely yeah, it's yep. incredible. They, they it's not just big brands in there. It's not just that. There's really cool local stuff. There's there's amazing just the way it, the feng shui is, they figured mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. I think grocery stores need to take that idea and say, how do we figure out the feng shui to now prioritize people to still come to the stores instead of just focusing just on digital growth because yep. digital will be a portion, but it will never take over in my opinion completely. It just won't. Yeah. Um, and I think they just need to innovate the merchandising. I think like prioritizing the, the, the convenience stuff. Like I was in a grocery store the other day and I walked through the, uh, the, the cash aisle, right. And it was a big cash aisle. And I said, 
holy, sh- holy shit, the products here are literally the same products that have been here for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It hasn't changed. We need to change that because at the end they, you know, look at this pandemic, you know, like healthy eating is such an important thing. Like being healthy is an important thing and it's still not prioritized. Yep. It's still not prioritized. And the food we eat or the beverages we have, they need to be prioritized. Why aren't they in the front and center yet? Why still, why are they not fully there yet is my, what I don't understand. I know it's um, funny. I keep asking, you know, I had, um, I had our old target buyer on and I have another sales, you know, buyer on from another grocery store coming on in a couple of weeks. And it, every it's, I, I had a Kroger guy, everyone wants to, they all know they're all, but you know, I think there are these dual priorities kind of coming at them. You know, you can't, you can't focus on innovation and also focus on, you know, sales at, at, you know, there's gotta be a lag, right? So if you're going to take in new products, you're going to lose a little bit of velocity because it takes time for people to get to know these new products and repeat and enjoy and, you know, follow on. If you're, if you're building something for the future, it's almost an imperative that you take a little bit of a hit in the near term, almost always, right? Because it just takes a while to catch on. Our velocities are really good, but they're not as good as vanilla yogurt. They're just not, you know what I mean? And they're not going to be probably, I mean, not at a $6.99 price point, you know, and that's the other piece of it, right? Like if people are used to getting double mint gum where you are, you know, they'd have to build a refrigerated section and they, you know, and then the price point, but once, once they get in there and I think like the Foxtrots of the world, I think they are trying to do that. And I think the larger retailers will, will figure it out, but you know, it's a big, big ship and they don't move quite so fast as like the little canoes, you know? But these canoes, like the, what I think (laughs) is you're right. The Foxtrots are, 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 are great demonstration of, how much demand and how much, sorry, and how much actual the, the consumer wants these new products, these innovative products, they want mm-hmm. to discover, they want to eat stuff that's obviously better for you and drink stuff that's better for you fun. as well. Yeah. Fun. They want fun. But the problem is, is also price points are very tough, right? So it's like, how do we as a, as an entire, you know, group of brands lower our costs, you know, from a standpoint to make it more available? Like for us, like even us, we're a $4 chocolate bar, three ninety nine, right? That's it's quite premium. You know, we don't want to have to give up organic. We don't have to give up all these things to lower our price point. We want to make sure that it's available for everyone. We don't want to just be in the whole foods of the world and all that. That's great and all, but we still want to get into the conventional space and actually win yeah. there as well. Because still most of the groceries happening, the grocery shopping in the United States is still happening at Walmart, Costco, Target, um, Kroger, right? Or that's where bulk is happening. So, you know, we need to figure ways to either get not just sections of the store to be dedicated to better for you. I'm talking about the entire side of yeah. it, you know, as long as there's great products, like obviously taste is very important. Um, you know, I, I don't give up everything unless the taste is really good, to be honest with you. It has to be, what is it? If it's not fuck yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> if it's not fuck yeah, then it's no. Then it's no. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about all the growth and the sales and the ops. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. 
We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? Otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese, with intense requirements to succeed. Our master cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. I'm back with Jay Carls from Midday Squares. Okay, so there are a couple questions. I have some big ones. We have a half an hour. Okay, growth. Let's talk about working with your sister and your brother-in-law. Let's talk about building, you know, from a three-person family unit into like a manufacturer as well as like, you know, a big, bigger team. Um, how has that impacted not only you guys, but, you know, this unfiltered approach to having everything public and everything documented, have you had moments where you're like, I'm not sure we're going to be able to keep on doing this because it's just exposing so much and so many people? Yeah. Great question. So it all started with the three of us in a small condo. Um, we were hand making these bars, like I said earlier, and we had to move out to a small kitchen because we, we, we were six people at the time actually making them. And it was too crazy in the condo. So we moved into this small kitchen. <laughs> we got some semi-automated machines. We moved in. This was like three months in. And, and then we, we, we dumped like 10 people in there. And our team was growing. And we were doing everything by hand except for like a couple of mixers. And then we realized that we wanted to co-pack this product because we were like, okay, well, let's scale this. to right. If we want to scale this business to what we believe we can get it to, we need to have a, a manufacturer. And we went to 26 around North America and Europe and uh, 24 said they were unable to make the exact product. They just can't because their machines can't do it. Yeah. Um, and then two said, we could do it, but you'd have to invest three to $5 million into our facility. And my sister came back to Nick and I, my brother-in-law and I, and was like, we're building our own factory. She just straight up threw papers and stuff. She's like, we're building it and I'm taking care of it. Do not ask questions. And then she's like, oh, Nick, I'm going to need $3.4 million. Do you, can you get that? Can you go raise that money for us? And and she said it dead serious. And I was like, uh, okay. Did you have sure. that on your iPhone? <laughs> no, I, 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 wish, I, I, I wish we did, to be honest. At the time, no, I was just rattled at the moment. I was like, okay. I was like, we, didn't, we haven't even spent any money really on growth or anything. She right. wants to go build a $3.4 million factory. Now, in my head, I was like, she's crazy. She's not even an engineer or anything. Right. And she built it. And we're today we're, we're in there and it's fully automated and, you know, it could produce up to 90,000 bars a day um, at, at, at scale. It's 70 people. And what's crazy is what you said earlier is working with family. Um, it's hard. And yeah. we, we didn't partner. And this is, I love to say this because it's super important. We didn't partner because we're family. And here's why. My sister, my brother-in-law, and I are very different skill sets. So when you combine them, we complement each other's weaknesses, right? Yeah. So, so when we have a weakness, one's, one's weakness is one's, is one's strength. One's strength is one weaknesses. So we, we combine into this tripod. And the day one agreement, just like I made with them to film everything and said, you, you have no choice but to commit to that, otherwise I'm not joining, was my brother-in-law said, 
the only way we could see this partnership is if every week we go see a business therapist once a week, no mandatory in, in good and bad times, and work on our communication, work on our problems, work on having a safe zone to speak with. And till this day, we still do it. Yeah. And we actually bring team members into it. We bring all this stuff. And we eventually want to have him, him, his name's Dr. Gavin, um, full time for the team. Eventually, Can that's I our goal. Can I interview him on the podcast? Will you introduce uh, me? I, 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 yeah, if you want to be introduced. He's a very busy man. He's older. I'm he's sure. great. But he, he's a special. <laughs> without him, Midday Squares doesn't exist. Yeah, so, that's amazing. And so then what about, I mean, just is a technical question, but like, what about everyone else? Like those 70 people's yeah. privacy? Like, yeah. It's one thing for you guys to do your thing, but do, does anyone ever say like, I'm not comfortable or I don't want to do that or I feel, you know. So, so they know it's, so anyone that joins Midday Squares, like we just, we're hiring a bunch of people right now. I think it was like this month, 10 people. So before they start, they get the real DNA of what, what, what drives Midday Squares is growth, what pays all the salaries, what, what keeps the lights on and right. media is a huge component. So it's of a it. part so, of the deal. Yeah. So they sign. So anyone that joins has to sign a contract that basically allows us to film everything. Not that we're going to utilize anything to use, not, nothing to use against them. It's to tell the story like of brother. the business. <laughs> yeah. It's like big brother. And what ends up happening is they at first people are a bit shy and then they become characters. It gets the coolest mm-hmm. thing. And, and I'll never forget this story. It's the funniest thing. I was in New York um, six months ago and I was with some, my, my best friend's an investment banker there. And he's like, it was 10 PM. And I was exhausted. And I was like, I just want to go to sleep. And he texted me. He's like, yo, we're going to go to a party. And I was like, what? He's like, you're here once just come. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'm like, who's the party with? He's like, it's a rooftop party with all these other investment bankers. I'm like, well, I'm not going to have any relatability. I'm a, I'm a food entrepreneur. He's like, no, you'll, you might know some of them. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm here once I'm coming. So I, show, I go with him in the cab. We get to the party. When I walk in, I'll never forget this moment. I walk right through the doors in this rooftop outdoors. And I, it's a lot of people. And they come swarm me. And they're like, how's Fred doing? And I'm like, I don't know who these people are. I'm like, I'm like, who's Fred? I'm like, I'm not Fred. I'm Jake. They're like, they're like, no, Fred. Like, how's he doing? He was crying last week. And then it clicked in my head. Oh and I was like, gosh. oh my gosh, they watch the story and they actually know Fred, who's our right. plant manager, who right. had a really rough week. Yeah. And they're like, they cared for him. And so I shared that with Fred. And Fred was like, oh my God, he felt the love. And he was just like, he was one of those really shy people before. Yeah. And he now he's now a, a character. And right. he's just like, this is crazy to see community come together. And I was like, that's why we do it. And yeah. And some people don't like it and they don't last at Midday Squares. And we actually help them find another job. And, you right. know, for us, we're proud of our alumni team. Um, but it's not for everyone. And I can assure you that right. um, because well, moments yeah, do get it, hard. I mean, talk about introverts and extroverts. A lot of people go into supply chain and, you know, science and, and you know, because they don't want to be, you know, out there. You know, I mean, I watched the one about coconut not getting launched and the poor woman who was <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, just weeping basically yeah. when you know Leslie said it it wasn't good when she was away, and I, you know, I mean, it did. It felt like I was watching a TV show for sure. I, I mean, it's it's really brilliant. I gotta tell you. Okay, second question. Yeah. So we were in a similar situation. You know, we have a pouch uh, filled hpp fresh sauce that there is no co-packer in america that makes or could make i ended up finding one who built us a line invested in the company that was the way that i went about it because for me it would have been about a five or six million dollar investment and i didn't even think i would i i thought it would take me you know 
a decade plus to grow into that capacity. Um, plus I didn't really want to be like a, a factory owner. Wow. Like I, that, that was just very exhausting sounding to me. So, I mean, I see having your own manufacturing as a massive advantage for you. Um, clearly when it comes to, and I know we'll talk about this, you know, if you were aiming to get acquired, that is something that would be a very big like asset on, on, you know, on your little sheet of assets and liabilities. Um, but it's also not just building a brand that this is like, now you're running a, a manufacturing plant. Um, I mean, building it is one thing, managing it is an entirely other thing. What has that been like? Oh, that, that you said it correct. It's not just building one, it's building a brand at the same time as owning and managing, operating a manufacturing plant. It took two and a half years to get this place going. Um, now it's finally finding its ways and Leslie is actually stepping out. We hired a, we just hired literally last week, we signed the contract with our first director of operations whose main focus is literally the plant and right. taking over the entire process. And it's just, it's hectic. Like I got to yeah. tell you, it's one of the most exhilarating parts of our business is definitely the manufacturing, but it's hectic and it's stressful and it, it has problems every day. Yeah, Every single day there's a new problem. But again, it's, it's in our DNA because since the beginning, it's been there, right? So we don't really know otherwise. And to be honest with you, what we are happy about is the dynamics that we could do. We could change very quickly. We could reform very fast. You could be able to, yeah. you don't have to book our line ever. We, we just, it's always running whenever we want. And, you know, sometimes when I'm feeling low, like just like sad, because I do get that way a lot. Yeah, um, I just, you're a human being. Yeah, because uh-huh. we're humans and, and <laughs> you should, you know, it's, it, you can't be smiling and happy every two seconds. But I go to the I go to the factory and I walk in there and I just am amazed that I'm watching raw ingredients go into yeah. something and then come out of the line as a yeah. full product and it's the coolest thing and it makes me feel like this is all worth it all the stress all the yeah. hard all the, the the energy is is worth it and it's not for everyone to take that route by the way because if I didn't have my sister on it we Nick and I wouldn't have been able to do it because she took so much stress and beating on it right. just like all the no's people just tell you no every day. Um, or they tell you it's going to cost $10 million. They're going to tell you it's this. And every investor, by the way, most of the investors that we pitched to were like, you're, you're out of your mind. It's not going to work. It's impossible. Interesting. I'm surprised by that because it's such a, I mean, it's such a differentiator and it, I mean, once you grow into that capacity, you're saving a ton of margin. Exactly. At the capacity, you're you're actually making a ton of margin and you're bringing a lot more cash in, right? And for us, it never made sense. It it was as if we were talking a foreign language to them. You know, and the problem was, is because most brands, and this isn't an issue that most brands take the COPAC. I I get why they would, to be honest, but we couldn't take that route. We actually had no choice. Um, The thing was, is yeah, you could could scale very fast with a COPAC right off the bat if you really want to get your Costco business up, get all this stuff up, and you could have the product made really quickly. Problem is with the manufacturer, you can't just go take on every retailer until your ops is fully down, ready to go. Like for yeah. us, we couldn't go take on mass retailers yet because we needed to figure out the kinks. We had 20% waste that we had to figure out. Now it's at less than 1%. You know, it took time to do that. Our team needs to figure out the expertise. It takes time. You know, it's a lot of work, but in the end, we're, we're, we're pumped about it. And, um, you know, if anyone wants to talk about that, that listens to this podcast, reach out to us. We're more than happy to you know, bring you through the journey and, you know, the steps and how we did it, obviously not show you the trade secrets, but um, it's, it's definitely a prized possession of ours. You know, we, we, we're going to build another plan in the U S next uh, in 2024. Um, and 
we already optimized it so much more than the current one because we learned over the last two and a right. half years on to, to, to do different, different formats. Different it really things. reminds me of Chobani. I mean, it really does, you know, and you know, everyone, I mean, Hamdi used to sleep on the floor of the, of the yogurt plant. And that's, that's been his baby since the beginning, you know, the brand took, took a while after just making really good freaking yogurt. You know, and it, yep. it, it's interesting because you you kind of have both, but it's very hard to build both in tandem. Very, very hard. Um, and, and it's really and, cool that you're doing it. And that's where not stepping on each other's toes is the big thing is Leslie right. handled that. None of us worried about it. Even if there was big mistakes, there was big costs. One cost was costed us. We lost $250,000 in a machine, like just gone to the drain. You know, yeah. and I think like trusting your partners, um, yeah. not blindly, I would say, but trusting them because you actually trust them um is a big thing and like for example with community they, they don't they don't ask me any questions about it because they know i'm i'm focused on building our community to, to be to know us and to feel us and there's no questions asked obviously if i'm detrimental to the business or leslie was doing something detrimental we would interact but we have again that therapist to where we have these safe zone conversations that they're two hours long and they get somewhere every single time we like to call it like ping pong where we mm-hmm. rally till we till we find the solution and you don't put those on social Right. We we sometimes do. The problem with psychology is there's like some rules that like you got to be very careful unless he signs right. off on it, which he does sign off on certain things. We actually record each one of them. Um, so we have them because they're very important. Um, they're very important memories and solutions. Like there's some brilliance that happens in those things, but we share like bits and pieces right. um, and put them in. But we don't share them fully, um, especially some with our teammates. We don't we don't share. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so I guess another question about that is like. In terms of the the scalability of this, you know, unfiltredness, you know, fundraising, are investors included in that? Do people, you know, it, as you as you grow and expand, and and the not only the people on the team, but all the people sort of surrounding the team. Um, I mean, what you know, I would think that most investors, and this is literally just me guessing knew the brand was very excited. Um, you know, you're making a big splash. They, they, you can't buy what you built, right. Just from the get go. Then I would think that the, I mean, I'm surprised to hear that they didn't love the fact that you had your own manufacturing. Um, but I can understand that you really need to grow into that, but you know, what was that process like? Was it, was it an easy for you because you've already gotten this like brand kind of uh, I, you know, juju or, yeah. you know, so, so, de- so yeah. So the reason why the investors are a lot of the time that are not evergreen funds or like, you know, family offices or stuff like that, that, that they don't love the manufacturing. It's not that they don't believe in the long term of that. It's that they, they're worried about the CapEx that's going to mm-hmm. go into that, to building it and to, you know, taking your time to grow into it. They, have, they have basically have to take a guess that you're actually going to go there. But in my opinion, if they're investing in you, they are believing that you're going to get to what you're going to get to. Right. So it's like, honestly, like a catch line too. But so for us, we've actually included a lot of our investors into the media component and storytelling. And, you know, one great investor of ours, his name's Kiva Dickinson. Mm-hmm. He's, he's great. I love the guy. Um, he came, he's filmed, every time we're with him, we film him, we film our, 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 you know, our meetings, our stuff. And he loves it. He embraces it because he's part of our journey. He's a big part of it. He had believed in us and we shared right. that process, you know. Some other ones, you know, they, they, they've learned to love the media. They, <laughs> the media is what approached them. The media is what got them going. Yeah, and the product, for sure. 
the product they loved. And then they know that the media is such an important part. Now, here's where the key is to Midday Squares' success is that Nick, Leslie, and I continue to control the board. And every round, that's something that we focus on. And the reason why we focus on that is because we we do crazy shit and we're unfiltered. Yeah. You know, some things will get us into trouble, not politically or anything like that, because we don't get involved in that kind of stuff. But from a standpoint of we share the story, the good, the bad, the ugly, and some things are ugly and uncomfortable. And, and that's part of our journey. But like we did a music video, we filmed a music video and I swear to God, it's coming out in end of January. You're going to freak when you see it. I just watched the first, <laughs> the first iteration of it. It's literally to Eminem. It's a parody that from Eminem, but we actually spent like tens of thousands of dollars to produce this like an MTV style thing. And it was like $50,000 oh and people gosh. thought right. investors thought we were crazy when we, when we told them and we're raising, we, we're currently raising money and we were told them that this, this spent expense just happened. And they're like, well, why would you spend that? And we're like, well, in three months from now, when it goes up, you're going to say, holy shit, this was the smartest idea because right. it, it reinforces and fuels our community to tell more people, to get more people involved in it. And it's just, it's who we are. So we need the ability to continue to make those decisions. Right. So whoever's investing in this business needs to understand that we are three whack jobs, but not just whack jobs that don't have a head on our shoulders. We have every jobs. Yeah. It's <laughs> me- everything's methodically done, right? Yeah. It's not just like, Oh, let's go spend a hundred thousand on this, 200,000 on that. No, it's everything's methodically done. And, and in our past record, we've hit everything that we've promised and done more. So that comes down to a lot of investors end up giving us the control and say, you know what? We mm-hmm. just want to be part of the ride. And yep. And they end up getting on the camera. It's uncomfortable, cringe at first because they're not comfortable on it first. Mm-hmm. But then, but then they slowly break into because they see the actual value of it. They fo- they start to understand that that's what got them into the into wanting to invest in us. Yeah. So so yeah. But you know, when someone doesn't want to be part of the camera, we have no problem. We don't right. put them on camera, no matter what. If it's a team member or if it's a if it's a uh, investor or uh, you know a, a bystander. So, right. It's really you know it's really funny because I you know, you're such a great case study, right? For, I mean, the idea is genius to sort of reality television with a product, right? I mean, at the end of the day, people would be watching you guys because you're fun and interesting to watch, even if you didn't have a product. And then, and now you have all these actual reality TV stars who are trying to (laughs) hawk products. So, you know, it's just, the whole thing is just, it's awesome. But now what I'm starting to see is like buyers especially are also watching this stuff. They're also much more clued in because they have gotten, now that I think they're sort of not post COVID, but they've gotten through, I have this thesis, it's not, you know, rocket science, but basically before COVID, American grocery stores saw the writing on the wall. It's not like e-commerce just happened all of a sudden overnight. They knew it was happening. They knew these quick delivery things were happening. They knew they needed to get their acts together a little bit. But just as they were starting to think about making more refrigeration in the store, or like you were talking about, making the stores more shopping the way you actually shop instead of like, I have to cross you know, a mile to get from the eggs to the salmon, right? All of those things they were starting to think about, but then they got hit with the pandemic. And then the only thing that they could think about and that they had to think about was like, we need rice, we need toilet paper, we need bottled water. We need to make sure that people don't get sick. Like our, our staff is at risk. We're not getting anything. Our shelves are empty. And meanwhile, as they're trying to like mitigate all that stuff, all of the e-com companies are just like skyrocketing you know, yep. and raising more and more money and spending more and more on marketing. 
Now it feels like they're trying to get back, you know, onto that sort of like, all right, we need to invest in innovation. We need to bring in like new and interesting products and brands because people are going to be buying the uninteresting stuff on Amazon. They're not going to be going to the grocery store to get, you know, uninteresting stuff that they can buy online easily and have delivered to their door. So it feels like it's also just the right time. You know, you've got, you've got this brand, you've got a great, you know, functional, healthy, better for you chocolate bar that tastes great. I've had them. I had them first in Montreal, I have to say. <laughs> um, and you have buyers that are like, now they're, they're on the lookout. So how do you choose? I would imagine that you've got a lot of incoming um, whether it's grocery buyers that are coming at you or, you know, drop ship companies that are coming at you or even investors that are coming at you. So w- what's the decision process like? So, so with buyers, uh, my role is called Rainmaker at Midday Squares. And it's really important I did that not I include say this. That. I have to tell you, Jake, I could not, I could not say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. So I'll tell you, I I tell you what, I'll tell you, chief I, rainmaker. I'll t- I'm too I'll tell old you what, for that. <laughs> I'll tell you why it's called the rainmaker. So the rainmaker, basically what I focus on is I'm actually a separate entity within midday squares. And what, what I mean by that is I don't do things according to the brand. So I focus on building my own personal brand and the brand of midday squares as well at the same time. But the thing here is that I, I want to build relations with people. So whether that's investors or grocery buyers or whatever buyers, or new team members or PR people, whatever it is, is I build a relationship that has nothing to do with midday squares. And the way they see it is through all my content I create. I do a lot of fucking crazy shit. They like it. We talk, we engage, we become friends. Once <laughs> I know that they're ready to like want to bring midday squares on, I then just shuffle them. I send them over to our, the, 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 the VP of sales or our mm-hmm. sales team or whoever needs to, whatever department needs it. Right. You're and not I, dealing with the sales. No. Got it. And I remain friends with them. So then I'll yep. go out for lunch with them. I'll hang out. We'll go for dinner. We'll hang out. We'll do some cool stuff. And we'll talk just generally as friends. And I actually become close to them as that. Mm-hmm. And I never get a business. I yep. never get involved with the business at all. So that's actually I, incredible advice by the way. Like, it works. It, it works. Great advice. So great all, advice. The, all the stores that I've done that with is we're killing it. We're at, yeah. and I, I don't do anything. I don't do anything. And you don't, don't have the uncomfortable like, hi, this was a no. weird thing. You guys didn't restock us after the thing. You're just, no. you don't touch it. I FaceTime them. I hang with them. I, whenever I'm in their city, like I'm going to Texas next week. Um, once I recover, like I'm, I'm going to hang out with one of the buyers there. We're going to, we're just chilling. We're not talking about anything. I don't care to, because I know that at the end of the day, my team that I have, is there to execute on what I understand is the, if there's a problem or if there isn't any problems, they'll do it. And this rainmaking position allows me to do that also with investors. So I'm consistently talking to investors almost daily, right. um, but not even about, not really not about midday squares because I don't even get into nitty gritty information. I, I, I just fire them up. I get them excited. And yep. then they're like, oh, well, are you guys ever raising money? And I'm like, oh yeah, we actually are one <laughs> right. part of it. I'll hand you over to this guy. Yeah, I hand over yeah. my brother-in-law and their finance team. And then guess what? they've passed the litmus test that I have, which is basically, do we like these people? Right. And my gut tells me yes or no. And if it's a, I know right away if there's an A, B or C list buyer, which what I mean by A, B, C is not how good they are. It's it's how much we're going to build a strong relationship with them. A being the strongest, B being second, C being no chance. Right. And, and when we have an A and a B, the goal is our team from is supposed to get the B's to the A's or keep the A's and the A's because the A's, they let you do magical things. Get a whole yeah. refrigerator to yourself. Get you know, do this promo, do that. Come to the store and create content. Like they they want to because you're genuinely a real friend of theirs first, mm-hmm. rather than just a business associate. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really 
That's just, I think, generally great advice for any founder. You know, I find myself, you know, I'm knee deep in a lot of relationships, which, you know, in a way has been good because I've pushed things forward. Um, But I think that, you know, just personally speaking, that advice really hit home with me because I don't want to have uncomfortable conversations with anyone. I just want to have great, happy conversations with everyone (laughs) and let other people have the uncomfortable conversations because it, it muddies the water a little bit, you know? And I think that, I think that's great advice. All right. Yeah. Before we go. Yeah. If you could just take out your loudspeaker and talk to founders or people who are thinking about quitting their day jobs, they've got a great idea. Maybe they're a year or two behind you. Like what's some of the best advice that either you got and you want to spread or no one ever told you that they, you know, you wish they had. So two things. So being yourself is when you actually win and don't, don't deny being yourself. You know, people put on costumes every day, a narrative to be someone else. And you got to lose that because it's impossible to be your hundred percent version, the best version of yourself by being someone else. It's actually just doesn't work. So the moment you realize that you're ready to be yourself and be unapologetically proud of that. I know it sounds cheesy. No, that's the moment you're going to win. That's when you're actually going to start winning and everything's yeah. going to, whether that's even a failure, it's a win. Yeah. And number two is once you have a business, play on offense, do not play defense. Don't play not to, not to lose, play to win, you know, because you know, even the pandemic's a great example. Most brands went on the defense um, because things were falling off a cliff in March, 2020. And people didn't know what was going to happen. They were prioritizing, like you said, rice. Retailers are prioritizing rice and like wartime brands, if you want to call them. And my, my partners and I had $10,000 in the bank account left. And we had a payroll of 36 people or 32 people. I can't remember. And I said to my partners, I said, either we start laying people off and we start playing defense and just like holding the fort down. Or we fucking do what we believe in, which our core value is play offense. And that means go hire, go spend everything and go win. And guess what? It flipped the entire company as a TSN turning point. And we ended up hiring 15 or 20 people that year. We grew 170%. Yeah. You know, we went full throttle. And I think people forget about that because they get scared. Yeah. Um, and but that also goes back. I mean, sorry to backtrack a little bit because I know that was like the, the final final. But in a way, that goes back to the premium aspect, right? Like, Part of me is like, I'm not going to lower my prices because my prices aren't going to get any lower and I want to keep the same quality and I want to keep the same, you know, I want it to be fresh. I want it to have all of the certifications that it does. I'm going to lean hard into premium and, you know, for the buyers out there who want it to be $4.99, $5.99, you know, on shelf, like I'm going to have to say no. Like I'm not going to be able to get you a 40% margin and also do all the things I want to do marketing and also, you know, be the high quality brand I am at that price point. So I, I think that's also like in terms of like not playing defense play offense, like not just your own personal self, know your value, but like know your brand's value, you know, know that we are where the innovation is coming from. And right now buyers might be like, it's too much, but at the end of the day, like, we're building something that they're going to want. You think? I'll give you a great example. I totally agree with you. And here's why you brought up a point before that was like, you watched our fourth, when we were about to launch our fourth flavor, which is a coconut Mm -hmm. and we didn't end up launching it. And 
that was seven months of R&D, okay, yeah. that went into this product. Yeah. Did this out. It was all modeled for our, our year to hit a certain number because the fourth flavor adds, adds you know, yeah. revenue, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It, it tasted good, okay? I, I will tell you that. But it wasn't but fuck it, yeah. It wasn't fuck yeah. <laughs> and after seven months of a lot of work, a lot yeah. of energy, if we were not to stay true to ourselves and just listen to the noise, just saying, okay, you launch it and then reform and do whatever you got to do, we wouldn't be where we are today. So we decided not to and we stayed true to our guns because you don't ever want to lose the trust of your consumer. If the second yep. you lose the trust of your consumer, it's very hard to build it back. Yep. It's very, very hard. So we guess what? We didn't launch the flavor. And we were proud of that moment because we stayed true to our guns. We ended up making it up in other things because that's what ends up happening in life. Yeah. And we're launching a fourth flavor that's not coconut. That's even going to be even more, even way better, way yeah. better. And I just, I'm proud of our, as us as a brand by staying true to ourselves and not, yeah. not just listening to all the noise out there. Cause there's tremendous amount of noise out yeah. there that will tell you to go this way, that way, do this, do that. And a lot of founders, unfortunately fall into that trap. Of, yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll lower the price to 499 because, because that's what everyone's saying to do. Yeah. So, you know what? I, I think blocking out the noise is my advice in the yeah, end. I that that would be the strongest advice. I'm going to write it down. Um, Jake, thank you so much for being my first guest of 2022. It's crazy to think that I'm going, I mean, I started in 2018. I mean, I was actually kind of doing sort of what you were doing, but in like my very Gen Xer way by having the podcast start when we started the brand. Um, I just didn't know that I was making content at the time. <laughs> I just thought <laughs> I, I was it. getting people to answer questions for, you know, for free, basically. Um, but anyway, I think it's brilliant. I, you know, thank you so much for coming on. Great way to start the year. Um, good luck and keep going. And Armin, thank you for engineering today's show and all our shows as always. Listeners, thank you so much. Um, and I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.